one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, editor-in-chief of urbanhealthtoday.com, part of the Dockwire family of medical news sites, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Saley Fakorzi, Director of Mental Health Operations for Timely MD, a student-centered platform offering on-demand access to mental health and mental care. She's here to talk about the harmful impact of social media platforms on our youth and teenagers. Thanks for being here today, Saley. Thank you for involving me in this important conversation. I appreciate the invite. It's good to have you. Let's get started. Tell us Thank about you. um, your background and your work for Timely MD. So I've been in mental health now um, over 10 years, and the work that I do with Timely MD really is directed at our relationship with students. So we are the first to market and the market leader in virtual health and well-being for students. So we're 100% focused on higher ed, um, providing mental health and medical services uh, that is geared towards students and a technology that's built for students. So in my role, I am working to um, improve our relationship with students and our connections with with uh, partners and campuses that we serve. Right now, we serve over 1.5 million students on over 250 campuses that have access to our services. And we support them having a comprehensive solution to mental health care and making sure that the campus leaders and the students have access to this integrated virtual care all in one that helps students thrive without really cutting any corners on quality and service and security. So my role is to um, is to work directly with campus directors, understand what students are needing, and we focus on really improving their ability to see um, valuable improvements in their mental health treatment and overall care. So we work to um, increase the level of measurement-based care that we provide, and we invest in care transformation, making sure that students are seeing the changes in their depression, stress, and anxiety that they're presenting with. Um, also, we're pretty proud to say that, that we were recognized by Inc. as best in business for mental health advocacy. So wow. we're doing a lot of work in that area, and we're pretty proud of it. Congratulations on that. What is um, what is measurement-based care? Measurement-based care is a way to with um, with valued um, evidence-based tools that we're able to apply to treatment and get real statistics in real time for um, improvements in care. So 75% of students using timely care reported that they um, that they experience improvement in their mental health overall. 
And that also includes 100% of students that presented with potential suicide risk said that they've seen improvements from accessing care via our platform. So what we're doing is employing tools and measurement-based tools that are evidence-based, industry standard and evidence-based, that we're able to tailor services to improve mental health care overall for students that access our platform. And this is done through, is this through surveys or how, how do you, how do you get this information? Um, we're doing it through surveys. We're using evidence-based tools, PHQ-4, PHQ-9s, um, making sure that we're pulling this information and the results from them on a regular basis. And so as far as us investing in this area, that means we're just building a more robust system that we're able to depend on the results that we're getting and seeing from students that access our platform. There's no better way to understand what's helping students than to um, than to go to our own base of students that we have that um, that look to us for support. Wow. All right, let's pivot a second. So um, a recent lawsuit alleges social media platforms from Meta, Google, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, and others exploit kids psychology and neuropsychology to make them spend more time on their platforms. So how exactly is social media impacting youth and teens this way? So what I've seen in just being able to connect with students, I have the pleasure of connecting with this, um, this base of students on a daily basis. Um, and I will have to say that some things that social media has done is raised awareness for what it looks like to be well and what is mental health. Um, it's highlighted some important warning signs. It's also helped to normalize some of the conversation around health and well-being and getting help. One of the things that we see that's um, that hasn't been as supportive is making sure that students understand what it is to get to, or this, this age group, understand what it is to get to valuable, supported, evidence-based professional care. Um, having a therapist due to social media, having a therapist has almost become a trendy and become trendy in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, it also encourages the decreased barriers to care through education and access, which is our goal at TimelyMD, is to make sure that we're increasing um, that level of education and access to care and decreasing barriers to care. So when students are given this, this exposure to social media, I wouldn't say that it's been a thousand percent harmful. It has raised awareness, but I believe where students are getting more information and education from valuable professional bases, they understand that social media has been disconnecting them from physical connections through of people around them. Um, they've noticed changes in their mood they are noticing increased comparison, comparison them, comparing themselves to others, um, which overall leads to some excessive or overall disapproval or dissatisfaction in themselves. And it also allows them to isolate. And sometimes that isolation and increased isolation increases levels of depression and stress and anxiety and decreases their ability to sometimes communicate and accept support from those around them that are looking to to help them in areas that are that are going to improve their mental health overall. So while there's some levels of awareness that have been raised by the, you know, by mental health 
issues being raised on social media, there's also those harmful spaces where students aren't getting the right connection to professional education around mental health treatment. So in your experience, does an adult process social media differently than a child or a teenager? Have you seen that in your experience? Usually adults should have or may have of uh, more tools. They, they may have just from life experience, more tools, more coping skills to combat some of the negative messages that are bombarding them on social media. I was just talking with um, some students that are transitioning from high school to college. Um, I was just talking to them yesterday evening and they were talking about just how hard it is not to compare themselves to others how difficult it is to look at social media and not be aware of the things that they may not have or things that they want access to that they don't have access to. They're looking at, they're virtually looking at lifestyles of others that don't compare to theirs. And so there's this comparison um, debate. There's the feeling isolated or depressed because they may not have some of the advantages that they're seeing online. And sometimes adults are able to separate that a little better. And then a lot of times they're not. We are seeing that there are, um, even in our student population base that we deal with, there's non-traditional students. So our student base is anywhere from 17 um, and above. We have students that access our platform that are well above 50 and have also expressed concerns regarding their usage of, um, of, of social media, the time spent there, and then the negative results, which are all related to changes in mood, disconnecting from the people and things around them and isolating and increasing depression and stress and anxiety. So those are the things that really have translated regardless of the age group. So, and I think that's the benefit also of being on a platform that serves such a wide population of students. When we say students, we're thinking of traditional college age as well as non-traditional in community colleges and higher in, in colleges and universities. So Timely MD recently conducted a survey that had some interesting findings, including findings on mental health. Can you talk about that? The survey and sure. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that was a that was a great um, some great results that we found from that recent survey. Um, one of the major things that we were able to outline is that 70% of our students um, reported that they were experiencing mental health issues such as the top three that I mentioned: stress, anxiety, and/or depression. And nearly one in five students, that's 19%, said that they plan to cope with their stress by disconnecting from social media and other news online. And that's a, that's a huge finding because that means not only are our students realizing the impact, but they're also wanting to do something about it. One thing I have learned and continue to stress is that our student base is very educated and informed, and they're also resilient. And they are considering, you know, phones and social media, um, even though that's part of their lifeline. And it seems that, you know, that without that connection, they may not know what to do or where to go, but they're seeking other options for support. 
they're seeking um, out their peers. They're understanding that um, there are ways that they can get professional help and see improvements in their overall mental health. The survey also highlighted, um, you know, the fact that a lot of our students do rely on their peers. We have built a peer community with uh, TimelyMD that allows students to access a platform where they're able to encourage and, and, and seek support from, from a peer community. And uh, with this, what we've seen in the survey is we understand that 63% of the students that responded, so that's two thirds of students, turn to their peers first for help. And that means some wow. of these students, over half, may not even seek professional help or may not even be ready, but they're ready to connect and understand what their peers say about where they are and what they're doing. So the survey gave us shed light on several areas that, we, um, that we've definitely been able to uncover and find some solutions to help support students on their journey to achieving some level of health and well-being. I find that there, there, there seems to be like a, a high level of self-awareness among the group that you're talking. First of all, what's the age group? This is, this is college age students, right? Yes, it's college age students. And like I, I, I always try to mention the fact that um, one of the unique things about what we consider college age today is mm -hmm. that we have that traditional graduate from high school age, so 17, 18, 19, right. as well as the non-traditional students that are able to respond to um, the, uh, the surveys that we put out. That means sometimes within 30s or 40s and attending um, community colleges. So we have a great span, which gives us a, a great deal of information. And these uh, these students are resoundingly... Uh, responsive and willing to, to to give us this this insight so that we're able to tailor our services to better support them. Hmm. These numbers sound highly significant, mostly because teenagers' phones are their lifeline nowadays. Um, yes. So why do you think students are opting to disconnect? One major reason is they're seeing the negative effects and they don't like it. I think one of the things that is very good about them relying on their peers is that sometimes their peers are able to speak up in ways that maybe the adults and professionals in their lives would not be able to do at such a core level. So it's very impactful. I've talked to students um, before that have accessed our platform and said, I'm calling today or I'm reaching out for help today because my roommate said, or my, my significant other said, or my best friend told me that I have to do this because they've seen these changes in me. They've seen me not go to lunch. They've seen me stop participating in activities. Um, they're concerned about my personal hygiene or my ability to do, you know, activities of daily living and keep myself up in a way that's healthy. So when peers are seeing things, they're saying it. And I think that level of empowerment um, forces each other, they force each other in a, in a space to get help that they need. And, um, and I think that can be so powerful and impactful for students that, um, may not be, you know, ready to go to a scheduled counseling session, and they may not call home and tell their parents, hey, I'm going through this, or I'm seeing changes in my mood, or um, I haven't gotten out of bed in a couple of days, or I've missed several classes. 
these are ways that their peers are able to interject and help each other. And I think this level of awareness overall causes them to want to make changes and um, they want to feel better overall. They want to achieve a level of health and well-being that is significant so they can achieve their goals. So our responsibility as Timely MD is to come in the middle of that and give them support and get them to their ultimate goal, which is graduation. They want to be successful. They want to achieve the goals that they've planned out for their lives. And I would think a certain level of wholeness when they do go out into the world. I remember when I was in um, undergrad, my my biggest concern was... Uh, I had I had acne, <laughs> and so I didn't want to go out into the world. I was like, "There's no way I'm going out to the world with my face looking like this." And now kids have to deal with so much more social media. And I, here's a here's another question for you. So, in as much as there are kids with that high level of self awareness, I'm curious how you reach the students who um, how do you reach those students on campus or off campus that don't display that level of self awareness. How do you how do you reach those students? I think that's that's a great question. Um, we have, um, along with the the peer community, along with connecting students to professionals and uh, mental health professionals, medical psychiatry, health coaching professionals, we have those students that just are not quite there in the in the in the process of change, they haven't gotten to the space where I'm actually going to reach out for help. So we've also created and are continuing to build upon this robust platform for digital self-care. So students that just are in those maybe pre-contemplative stages, not quite sure what they want to do next, they can reach out and um, and access maybe a self-care journey that connects them to information on signs for depression, um, what to look for, how to improve their overall health and well-being, coping skills or techniques that can be used or employed in day-to-day -day life so that they can see some levels of improvement, but also giving them tools that get them ready for the actual next step of receiving care from a professional or reaching out to someone and having the conversation. I think one of the great things also um, about even social media and different platforms is that there has been an increased level of awareness. Like you said, students are informed, they're resilient, and they're seeking answers and support. So one of the most important spaces of support is making sure that they have access to care 24-7, 365. And that's been our major push. Um, I'll tell anyone that crisis uh, usually does not happen from nine to five. So those there are those students that aren't really aware that they need help, but might reach out in a moment of crisis or might reach out for support because they're thinking of, you know, harming themselves or they've engaged in self-harming um, behaviors or they're just curious about the process and what's gonna, what is a counseling session really like? And who do I talk to to answer these questions? So having a robust platform for digital self-care and also being able to meet students where they are, even if it is a crisis situation or some varying level of safety concerns, that sometimes can be that first step that gets them interested in understanding what else do I have available to me? So timely care is this space where students have the support, but also that real-time access in a way that's meaningful for them. And it's convenient. 
what are the signs of child or a child or a teen being negatively impacted by social media exposure? Goes right back to some of the things that we've been talking about. I think the things that they see peers seeing each other, um, decreased mood, um, isolating themselves, increased comparison to themselves, to others, and what others may have or life paths of others. That can sometimes, that comparison can always it can always bring up some other conversations about what I don't have, what I would like to achieve that I haven't achieved. So those feelings of inadequacy that come up and what we're seeing a lot is students that are shrieking back and feeling more comfortable being alone. Um, and those that may notice some changes in their mood, their sleep, their eating habits, their ability to focus, um, these are all things that, you know, we're paying attention to as students are talking to us about their current symptoms or their presentation um, to our platform. And then these are all things that we supply students with. Um, there are some students that are calling not for themselves or accessing our platform, not for themselves, but for a significant other or a friend and asking for tips and tools to look for to get people help. And I think that is so encouraging that, you know, there are definitely students that are reaching out for their own personal health and well-being, but they're also getting tools and building um, more of their awareness, their tools and awareness around what is what is solid mental health, what does it look like um, to be well, and how to educate others on, on what that feeling is and what to look for. So what is de decreased... Um, increased depression and, and decreased mood, what does that look like? It could be sleeping more often than normal. It could be not eating when you normally would or feeling, you know, bad about eating or having thoughts about eating that aren't normal, aren't normal to you. So that's something you can look for. Uh, if they see that their friends or themselves are isolating and not coming out of their room, maybe missing classes. We've noticed that some students, um, have been aware that there's an issue because they're they're missing classes, they're missing assignments, they're struggling and having, you know, poor grades as a result. And those are all the things that um, they're able to look for and and then say, what do I need to do next in order to get the the appropriate help? Do you think um, youth and teens could benefit from some form of digital detox? I mean, this just feels so insurmountable in some ways because you have this tool that is designed by its very nature to be addictive, to keep you engaged, to keep you looking at the screen. And the audience is getting younger and younger. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what would, a, what would a digital detox look like? Got it. Well, I, I I think, first of all, my answer is yes. It would benefit um, youth, teens, college students to take advantage of a digital detox, um, but that could be across the board, uh, adults, adults alike. Um, digital detox is a great place to um, reconnect with the people around you, with the experience and the environment and the community around you, um, seek out different levels of support employ other healthy behaviors such as getting outside and exercising, fresh air, sunshine, vitamin D, making sure that you're being active um, and communicating and building a community of support. 
one of those major things that, um, you know, increased social media attention does uh, negate is the fact that you do need people and a good support system around you. That's one of the things that we screen for when we're talking to students. And I, I would even say that before I heard it directly from students, I was a fan of digital detox, but hearing it more and more from our college students to say that they have proactively decided that they're going to disconnect or not use, uh, not use their electronics after a certain time at night, making sure they turn off everything. I had a student tell me last week that they had given um, they had started a practice within their friend group of passing around their screen times. So just showing each other, hey, I'm recording this, I'm taking a snapshot of what my screen time looked like, and then holding each other accountable for the time that they're spending online. And I just thought it was remarkable. You're, you know, you're just coming out of high school, freshmen's in college, but wanting to focus more on your studies and building relationships and friendships and communicating, going hiking and doing outdoor activities, but it allows you to develop in a different way, uh, remain healthy, build strong, supportive relationships, and um, increase your level of communication and activity with others. Those are all reasons to engage in a social detox and then also to give yourself time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For self-reflection, to decompress, uh, to get some better sleep, to increase your ability to focus. And so um, I was definitely convinced hearing from students uh, that have proactively taken the step to uh, engage in a digital detox that is definitely necessary and it's helpful. And they've seen immediate improvements in, um, in some of the things that, that would normally cause them higher levels of anxiety or stress. They've been able to decrease those symptoms just by taking a break. Um, and they realize that, you know, giving, getting that break has been helpful in several different areas. I've even heard students say, um, 
you know, I just want to change the algorithm. Like, can I just change my algorithm so I can get things that are, you know, healthier coming to me that are more encouraging and positive. But when students are noticing that it's not healthy, positive and encouraging, and they want to break, I, I do, I do agree that digital detox can be healthy. Um, and it could be a great space for, for students to take a turn in their overall mental health. What advice would you give providers, parents, and youth about the dangers of continued exposure to social media? I would say um, with what is consistent um, with, um, you know, looking out for the warning signs, understanding what it looks like, what normalizing the conversation around mental health and what well-being looks like. Um, normalizing conversations around building safety and support for mental health and encouraging positive mental health changes and overall health and well-being changes. When students are able to achieve a high level of health and well-being, they thrive. Those are the students that stay in school. Those are the students that see decreases in their level of depression and stress and anxiety. Students are worried about the things that they're seeing in the news. Um, on social media, the things that are being bombarded with. They're concerned about mass shootings. They're concerned um, from our survey, we understand they're concerned about mass shootings. They're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about um, overall stress and their coursework, their families, their health overall. So with all of those, we need to start looking for warning signs. Um, the signs of people isolate, of students isolating, which I mentioned before, uh, lack of sleep, increased stress or anxiety in situations when they wouldn't normally be, increased levels of depression and low mood um, that can result in excessive sleeping, um, lack of eating or lack of taking care of their personal hygiene or normal things that they would do to, um, to keep themselves up every single day, taking showers, brushing teeth. Those are things that we look for also. And just a disinterest overall. Um, and some of the things they would normally be interested in. Those are warning signs that can be highlighted and spark conversations around health and well-being. I believe as we normalize the conversation, which we, we attempt to help campuses find ways to normalize the conversation around health and well-being before we get to the stage of seeing the warning signs. If we're normalizing the conversation, we understand what tools are there, where um, for support 24-7 and that are accessible. We're educating students on what is health and well-being, what is thriving, what does that look like? And uh, we're also the solution before the crisis. So they're able to access care before there's an actual crisis or before things have gone on so long where they didn't get the support they needed. They're able to access tools and support prior to that. Well, but there's, there's probably a, a small difference, though, between mental health, where you're diagnosed with something like depression, anxiety, and then there's social media exposure that probably leads to addiction because you're exposed to high levels of violence, uh, crime, all of these things that you're bombarded with over and over. You know, there's this whole pain porn cycle where we, we just saw the release of the, what's the young man, Tyree uh, from Memphis, yeah. who was savagely beaten by the police. And we still haven't gotten over um, Mr. Floyd's having his, you know, sitting on his chest. 
there's a difference, right, between between the two, between someone being diagnosed and someone simply unplugging and that solves the problem. I mean, how do you differentiate between the two? It's it's really about the the severity of the symptoms that are recognized and the length of time of suffering. So those are the two main points that we're looking at. So there's some students or some people that are experiencing low mood and it's situational. It's due to, you know, a death in the family or someone close to them being harmed or themselves going through maybe a health issue or physical health issue. So they might feel more down than they would normally, but it hasn't persisted uh, for longer periods of time. And so what we're looking at is you're right between a diagnosis and just symptoms of uh, generalized stress or anxiety as opposed to a diagnosis is really time and severity and that's what we're that's what we're paying attention to so there's some there are some people that say oh i'm stressed or i have a stress disorder well how long has that been going on or just because you're feeling you have a low mood or you're depressed doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, diagnosed with clinical depression. And I believe there's some fear in that too, as far as education and understanding the difference between symptoms and actual diagnosis. Um, there's some fear in that. I think there's a level of, you know, lack of education it could be culturally, it could be, you know, socioeconomic conditions, just um, other barriers to access to information around mental health care or or care in general, or health care in general? How do we break down those barriers? Because this space that you're speaking about is really education. How do we determine one from the other? So when we talk about preventative care, I would say unplugging and de-stressing and increasing self-care, looking for warning signs. That helps um, when we're looking at just symptoms. But when we talk about a diagnosis, which is really the space where we want to have professionals involved and valuable, um, supported, evidence-based information um, in all spaces. But that's we really need it to help determine the difference between what are what are symptoms and what are actual clinical diagnoses. And you definitely want to seek a professional when it comes to understanding how long you've been experiencing some of the symptoms, the severity of the symptoms. For instance, in our um, survey, we had students that re that replied stating that they have, you know, felt these feelings of stress, anxiety, and depression. Those are our top three heavy hitters for reasons students visit our platform. And they feel like the symptoms this year are markedly more severe and intense than what they experienced last year. Wow. So even because of the increase in severity and across the board, um, I've talked with several campus clinic directors and one of the very first conversations we started having in the fall was, um, you know, these very candid conversations of we're just seeing a higher level of acuity overall. That is a space for professional consultation. That is not the space for, you know, your peers and your friends to diagnose or to self-diagnose. I think that's been some of the negative responses that we've heard from, you know, the results of some social media sites of giving, you know, giving some symptoms and then a diagnosis. So you can just diagnose yourself on TikTok, which is not, <laughs> not the space that we want. So we want people to do that. Right. So it's important from, for all stages to have professional evidence-based information 
and um, health and well-being coping skills, tips and tools to get students at a level of awareness for possibly preventing um, the ongoing symptoms that they're feeling and maybe finding some relief. And then when when that's not happening or there's a fear that, you know, this has gone on too long and the level of severity or acuity is, is too high. Understanding that a professional is the only one that can really diagnose you. I wouldn't, you know, turn to Instagram for that diagnosis. I, I had a student recently tell me that there's um there's a there's a Instagram post that they that they visit that they visit at one time and convinced themselves that they had a um a mental health disorder and also decided what they might need for medication. And and oh, um, okay, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're definitely going to seek a professional before we get to a diagnosis and a medication on uh, within 30 seconds. That's not the way it works. And so does Timely do this? Does Timely escalate, say, um, more uh, severe cases? Uh, what what kind of providers do you have on, on Timely MD? Well, I'm glad you asked. So um, our mental health uh, platform is comprised of mental health professionals that are at least master's level, but they go from master's level clinicians licensed in um, all 50 states to doctoral level clinicians, mid-doctoral level clinicians. The requirement is that they at least have a four-year degree, a master's degree, master's level clinician degree. And from there, 90 plus percent of our clinicians all have at least licensure in one state or multiple states across the United States. We also have doctoral level PsyD provider, providers and doctoral level providers on our platform for mental health. On the psychiatry side, we have in MDs, nurse practitioners. On our medical side, also um, MDs, nurse practitioners. And we also have health coaches that are certified in particular areas to help uh, support health and well-being of college students. And that is our entire platform. So even when a student is accessing one of our areas of support, which is Talk Now, which is our on-demand service for, um, for mental health support, they're nine times out of 10 getting connected with a licensed provider in a in a particular state or multiple states. Um, they will be connected to a master's level at at the least a master's level provider that has a um, concentration in mental health and behavioral health needs. So that is the benefit is that they're being connected to quality care. We're not cutting corners on quality or access or security. And that's where we've been um, the most beneficial for students is just understanding that even in a crisis, you're not just getting a volunteer with no background in mental health. You're getting um, a professional that has experience in supporting in supporting uh, people and students specifically in in areas of crisis, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. We see we see students every day on our platform now that are struggling with um, suicidal thoughts varying levels of safety concerns. And that number has increased um, over the time that I've been with Timely. And we've seen it increase overall and on all of our campuses. It's one of the number one concerns. Circling back to my original question that I was trying to form. Um, so does Timely in the uh, escalate cases 
let's say, you know, one of your providers is talking to um, a student and it's clear that the student needs a little more help, possibly mm -hmm. medication. Is that something that Timely MD does? We'll say, hey, you know what? I think maybe we need to escalate the student to refer them to um, a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist or, or something along those lines. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you clarified and, and I'll circle back to um, so one of the one of the best parts about our system is the integrated approach to care. It's an all in one service. So you're correct. We do escalate. So let's just take for for example, um, just uh, just last night, we had a student that expressed thoughts of self harm. They connected wow. with one of our providers. That provider was able to stay on the line with that student until we were um, until we connected our crisis response team counselor, that is a uh, master's level licensed clinician, and they were able to connect with the student and talk through the options for care and support in real time. And that particular school had um, had adequate support that was nearby. The student was on campus. And we were able to get that student transported to a nearby hospital so that they could be safe. The student was extremely thankful, wanted to wanted to be somewhere where they were safe, but also knew that they needed immediate attention because they they felt like they were not going to be safe in their dorm room. That's important for us to be able to have that comprehensive approach and also that that immediate response to crisis and students that are struggling with safety concerns. And um, that's something we do on a daily basis. Internally, if we see students that could benefit from higher levels of care or scheduled counseling, we will refer a student to scheduled counseling, connect them with a counselor, um, you know, get an understanding of their preferences, what they're looking for and what they need as far as support and the issues they're dealing with and help connect them with a provider that has experience in that area. There's also times that after a student is in scheduled counseling, um, they understand that uh, they may need medication or um, psychotropic meds to help enhance the results that they're getting from scheduled counseling. So they can be referred to psychiatry and they are able to have ongoing medication management and a referral to psychiatry. So they're able to meet with a consistent provider and then get that comprehensive care. So one of the best parts about being a part of a platform that has this integrated approach and all hands on deck approach to care is that students can be referred, their level of acuity, their needs for um, escalation can be um, evaluated and we can get them to the right space. What would you like to see change about social media in the future, given its impact on youth? I know that they've made some changes and those have been positive changes, but, but what else? What else can they do that you'd like? If you had a wish list, if I had a wish list, you had a wish list. Yes. Well, my wish list would come from the clients that I serve. And so some of the things that I've, I've heard them even say, and I can echo um, those as a part of my wish list would be um, their ability to change up what they're seeing, to be able to um, see things that are more positive and it not to take so long for the algorithm, let's say, to change so that they're um, having access to not just one stream of negative or um, 
undesirable content, but also something encouraging, uplifting, solution-focused, solution-based with professional injections of truth and what it means to really seek care and have the support and giving them options. And I think um, I've, I've had some students even re uh, report back that their ability to connect to help would be great if they could get that, if they could be have reminders within uh, so certain social media platforms that if you're feeling this way, this is an option for help. Um, this is a viable way to seek support. What does that look like? But having more options, even within um, some platforms to seek care, to seek support, and to understand that there might be another part of the wish list would be to um, help to, to make it a lot more accessible for students to get quality evidence-based informed care that professionals are able to vet before it gets to um, to some of our to some students that are in vulnerable populations. And that's that's extremely important that there's more um, security around what's released and what people have access to and to make sure that it's quality, it's well informed. Well, I would encourage anyone who hasn't to see the Netflix movie, The Social Media Dilemma. That was extremely eye-opening, especially to learn that the people who designed these social media platforms avoid social media in their families at all costs when they can help it. Wow. Yeah. That's insightful. Oh, yeah. Well, because they know what they've designed. It's, they, it's right. designed to, and it does, it does exactly what it's designed to do. Will you guys ever skew younger, like younger students, like say high school? We have been asked uh, time and time again about that topic because we we understand that, you know, sometimes things are budding in, you know, elementary, middle school, high school. Um, there, there are topics that are budding there that only are exacerbated by the time we, we see our students in college. So we currently serve several community colleges. So when we talk about non-traditional students on the higher end of the age spectrum, that also includes the lower end of the age spectrum. So we have students that are dual enrolled, enrolled at some of our colleges and universities. And um, so we are able to service those students also, um, but we haven't we haven't gotten into the high school or any other lower grade space. But um, we understand the need there, and I feel like that's also some of the the push behind developing more self care content for empowering adults and. Um, in, in higher ed in general, just to start preparing students at younger ages for what it means to be uh, be, he be healthy and to be well and to thrive. So it's a definite need. And uh, we've been asked that a, a lot, a lot lately, because there's a, there's a definite need there. So, um, but the students that are enrolled in colleges and universities, since they span so many ages, we do, we could go pretty low 15, 16, I've even seen on our platform. Well, that, so that's the students who are taking the, the AP courses then. So yes, oh, those yeah. dual enrolled students, those are the ones that are also served by our platform. But I mean, in the high school, it just, see, it just seems like it would be um, much more beneficial. I was reading a couple of days ago that uh, a lot of uh, college alcoholism, for example, 
really started mm -hmm. in high school. And so to your point about, you know, having much, uh, much more of an impact, I would think that getting, uh, you know, getting to the high school level students would certainly make your job easier on the college levels. There would be far more awareness. Um, is, so that's not something you guys are looking at at this time. I, we are not at this time, but I cannot argue with you um, that that it is important. Um, who knows what the future holds, but I will say that we do see the impact um, from earlier behaviors and impacts of, um, of just life in general and society that has already impacted our students well before they ever reach college or um, graduate school age, and we're seeing them on our platform. There's so many things that we're addressing that happened, um, you know, even in elementary and middle school that they're still struggling with and haven't found answers to. And there's some students that have been raised in homes where social, where um, mental health just wasn't discussed. Right. And so by the time they do reach college, they're so relieved that they just have access to a resource that allows them to start answering questions and putting together solutions that have been to, to problems that have been plaguing them for years prior to. We have a greater number of students that are coming into college spaces um, already on medication for mental health or been diagnosed with a mental health disorder before they ever reach a college campus. We have an increased number of students that have had at least um, one suicide attempt before their freshman year of college, right. and they're attempting to struggle through these years with limited to no support, and then they find out that their campus has timely care and they're able to access support without, you know, alarming parents or without an extra charge, and that's been the saving grace for a lot of students. So I, I echo the concerns that you're raising that these issues do come up a lot earlier in life. Um, and so that is um, definitely something that we have, we've uh, talked about internally, but um, as of right now, we haven't decided to go into that space, but it's, it's definitely a concern because we see it. Yeah. I, I hope you guys do get into that space because you'd be able to impact so many more young people because right now it just sounds like if you don't go to college you can't or you're not in contact with the campus you can't access these services and there's so many young people suffering um right from not just the effects of, of social media but you know just from everything going on around us I'm definitely taking that note back <laughs> to the powers <laughs> that be um it, it's it's a definite concern and I know the the heart of the company to serve, you know, higher ed was very specific um, because we wanted to make sure that we had clinicians and, and professionals that solely focus on this age group. And so that's, um, I, I understand the, we understand the impact and we also understand that there, you know, there are some needs way earlier on than what we're than, than what we're tackling that could very that we could be very impactful. So I appreciate that definitely. Sally, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping you guys make it happen. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Thank I you so it. much for today. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.